0: Well, turn in your Bibles to the book of Titus, Titus chapter 1. If you are visiting with us, we started this book a couple of months ago. We took a break last week from it for Easter, and now we're back into it. So for the sake of review, uh, my introduction this morning will remind you of the two-month introduction we took with this book where we covered the first four verses. And we could still be there if we wanted because there's so much, the word is so inexhaustible. But by way of introduction, let me share with you what we learned in the introduction where we met several people. Uh, As we looked into this book, we met Titus We met Paul, we met God, and we met the Cretans. When we met Titus, we saw that he was like a Navy SEAL because he accepted any and every assignment that was given to him by the Apostle Paul, who was also his spiritual father. Um, Titus was a Gentile or a Greek, and so he would accompany Paul on various excursions and missions proclaiming the gospel because he was a man who embraced the gospel so he would take on these special operations and crete was a special operation that paul had given this navy seal but then we met paul and he introduced himself first as a slave before he said he was an apostle and we thought that was a pretty powerful thing for a man to identify himself as a servant as a bond slave of christ then we met god and we spent some weeks going into some theology Because we talked as it it is revealed in these verses that God elects. So we took a moment one Sunday to talk about what volumes, how volumes fill libraries on this subject of God's election. So we did our best to talk about God's sovereign will as opposed to man's human will. We also talked about how God cannot lie. So when he makes a promise, you can bank on it. Uh, forever he is faithful, even when we are not faithful. When he speaks, he cannot lie. We also talked about how he is eternal. He has no beginning, he has no end. He is the eternal God. And then we mentioned how he saves. He is God, our savior, a phrase that is found repeatedly in these three chapters of Titus. And so he's our savior. Then we uh, talked about the Cretans because like us, the Cretans needed to be saved by this God, this God that Paul and Titus came onto that island proclaiming. And according to chapter one, verse 12, a prophet during that time and era made a comment about the, the various characteristics of the people of Crete. And this person said that Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. And so on this island, um, many pirates would dock there and eventually live there on this island. Uh, These buccaneers, mercenaries, marauders, they were scoundrels, they were evil, lazy, gluttonous, but it was in that place that the gospel of Jesus was planted and fruit began to arise. People's lives were changed. In short, they went from being bad to being good because of God's goodness and his grace and his love towards them. And we can identify with that because the Lord Jesus has and is changing us from being bad to good. And so that is our theme for the book of Titus, from bad to good. Over 11 times you see this word good found in these three chapters. And so we broke the three chapters down into chapter one, good leaders. And that's what we'll begin today chapter two, good teaching, and then chapter three, good works. So, good, good, good. Mm, mm, mm. God is so good. Well, today, let's talk on the subject of what the church needs now, part one. What the church needs now, what did that church there need, and what do we need? Well, let's start off by saying what we know first. Let's Look at the scriptures. What do we know first about the situation? Well, number one, Crete is in the Mediterranean Sea. And so Crete is about the size of Rhode Island. It is 150 miles east to west and 35 miles north to south. Uh, it's an island that has about 100 cities on it back in Paul's day. And so as we'll see in a moment, Titus' assignment was to appoint elders in every city. Because people were converted, and they lived all over the island. And so the church was on the island of Crete, but it was in various parcels in all of these cities. And so it was a massive undertaking. So Crete is in the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, It's a beautiful sea. Number two, Cretans were in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, verse 11, so when the church was born, when the Holy Spirit came, there were people from Crete who had come into Jerusalem, just as there were people from other parts of the world like Egypt and Mesopotamia, all over the then known world who were coming. And so this tells us a little bit more about the island, that there were Jewish inhabitants as well on the island of Crete and not just Greek or Gentile inhabitants. So it was a mixed place to live. And many of the Jews who had been dispersed because of various persecutions throughout the ages, they lived on the island of Crete, but on the day of Pentecost, they would make their pilgrimage into Jerusalem and there were Jews there. And when they got saved, Many believe that they took the gospel back to Crete where churches were established uh, back when the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost. So number three, Paul and Titus ministered in Crete. We don't know exactly when and how Paul ministered there or how long his time there was, but many of us believe that at the end of Acts, the book of Acts, his first Roman imprisonment, he went free. And it was probably during that time that he ministered in this on this island. And he took with him Titus, as I mentioned. Fourthly, Paul departed. We don't know how long he was there but we can believe that there was evangelism. Perhaps he went to the synagogues as was his mode of ministry. He would go to synagogues and minister to Jews first, and then he would go into the town halls and minister to Gentiles. We don't know how long he was there, but he did leave, but he left Titus behind to set things in order, which is number five. Paul wrote Titus and reminded him of his assignment to appoint elders. So look with me at Titus chapter 1, verse 5, as we get into this section on good leaders. Titus 1, 5, reading from the New King James Version, it says, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking, and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. So he was commanded. By Paul, his spiritual father, the great apostle, um, to appoint leaders, to appoint elders in every city. Now, in our men's class this morning, we were talking about how we all have a calling. And there's no such thing as a big calling or a little calling in the kingdom of God. We all have a role to play. Some of us may be out front. Some of us may be in the middle. Some of us may be behind. But we're all part of the train, the train of Jesus Christ. And we have a role to play. And for Titus, his role, his calling, even his command was to set that church or that island in order as far as the body of Christ was concerned. And so what a massive undertaking. But again, this is God's Navy SEAL. If there's anyone who can handle it, Titus can handle it. So let me just pause and ask you, what's your calling? What has God commanded you to do for his sake? Um, Again, some of us may be out front. Some of us may be behind the scenes. But one thing's for sure. If you know him, he is not only giving you at least one spiritual gift to build up the body and glorify his name. He's commanding you to do something with it. And if you don't know what it is, ask him, say, Lord, would you show me what I am supposed to do? Uh, Peter did not start off saying, I want to really spend my life because that's part of uh, his vision. Peter Noble to eventually live in Haiti for he and angel to live there. And so, but he didn't start off with all of that. God revealed things as he took steps of obedience. So maybe your first step is just to obey what he's saying to you, that nudge. Obey and watch him take you to places because Stephanie did not jump into the ministry to work with students. She started off making herself available working in in administration for the children's ministry. And God grew her and burdened her, and grew her, and then look, and now God is going to do the same thing with this next phase. But are we being obedient to the calling and the commandment that the Lord has for us? And just because he's called you doesn't mean it's going to be easy. As a matter of fact, because he is calling you, there will be resistance because there are forces that want to stop you from fulfilling your call. So if you don't fulfill your call, there's a gap missing in the kingdom, and the enemy is pleased, but the heart of God is saddened. So what are you called to do? And, 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 and let me just give a little uh, holy fear here. Mm, God is patient. And if we run in the opposite direction, when he calls us to Crete, to get the church in order, or when he calls us to plant a church or to go on the mission field or to start a business, to go to school, if you go in the opposite direction, God knows how to lovingly send a whaleogram after you. You know, and, you know, he, he knows how to get a hold of you where you're wondering why everything around you is drying up, why doors are closing, why things aren't working. It may be because our God is a jealous God and he's like, you're out of position. You're operating in fear. You're leaning on your own understanding. You need to trust me. And until you trust me and walk where I've told you to walk, it's going to be hard for you. Hmm, so get the message. Jonah got that message in that whale, well, and there was a resurrection. That brother got spit up and went to Nineveh. So y'all best to repent up in here. So he fulfilled his calling. My God. So we see here for this reason, Paul says, I left you in Crete. So that was a plan. Uh, we did evangelism. We discipled some of these pirates and some of these tough folk. Man, we saw people beginning to grow spiritually. Churches were forming. But you know what? In every church, there has to be leaders. And so we don't know how much time had elapsed, but Paul said it's time now from the people who were bad, who now became good, it's time to raise up leaders from amongst them to lead the church as elders. Oh, my, I love this. And so here's what we're going to learn in the time we have left. Uh, two things from this list. There are five and we'll continue this in the next week or two. But number one, what is an elder? Some of us know exactly what that is. Other, others of us have no idea. Number two, what do elders do? Number three, how are elders appointed? Four, who qualifies to be an elder? Fifthly, how is the church to relate to elders? So the next few weeks, we're just going to do our best to answer those questions because there was a command to appoint elders. So let's start today with the first one, and that is, what is an elder? Pastor Chris, what is an elder? Well, number one, in Jewish culture, elders were older, spiritually mature men who led families and tribes in Israel. So the elders were older, mature, spiritually mature men um that term elder can also mean bearded one and the beard would speak of the wisdom you know that took the time to grow the beard and so we got some beard guys here and we know how long it takes but in the jewish culture that would even speak of one's wisdom so an elder was a spiritually mature man a a bearded man who led families clans and even the tribes So when Moses had come on the scene after Israel had been imprisoned to Egypt, enslaved to them for 400 years, um, God had told him in Exodus chapter three, I believe it's verse 16, go and round up the elders and tell them that I have appeared to you at this burning bush and you are going to go in and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. But before you go to Pharaoh, Call all the elders together. The men who led the community. Because they govern in such a way where all major decisions were made through the elders. So there wasn't a major decision made without the elders, which is why God, who respects order, says, go to the elders before this major thing goes down so that they understand what's going on. Because Moses, when they have questions, they all can't get to you, but they're going to ask their elders because that was the culture of the day. You look to your elders for insight and direction and clarity, and these men were supposed to have those things. Well, this carried on into the New Testament. Because number two, in the early church, elders assisted the apostles in leading the church. Our faith springs forth out of Judaism. That's why you've heard the term Judeo-Christian ethics or values. So we are not the kind of Christians who forget that we have been grafted into the vine. Um, we're branches that have been added to the vine of Israel. So we don't boast against the Jews. We don't forget our Jewish history, heritage, and ancestry. Uh, our Messiah, our savior is Jewish. And so many things came into the Christian faith, uh, from Hebrew, uh, people from Judaism. And one of those is this elder thing, this elder concept. And in the church, uh, the early church, they would have the apostles because Jesus established the apostles. And so the church was built on Christ, the cornerstone, as well as the apostles. They were the foundation, Ephesians chapter 4. But when you look at Acts chapter 15 in particular, maybe even chapter 11, when this new thing is forming called the church in Jerusalem, there would be apostles, there would be prophets, and then there would be elders. That comes from the Jewish construct and understanding. And so um, that's how the church got started. Number three, to sum it up, elders are spiritually mature men who are called and ordained by God to lead the local church. So, elders, we are spiritually mature men of God who have been called by God. There's a stirring in us where we desire this position to serve. It's a weighty position, uh, but we sense a level of call as well as a desire that comes from God to want to do this good work. Um, this term elder in the Greek language, which was used for the early church, is the word presbyteros or presbyteros. And so, you've heard the term presbyterian. And uh, when I first came to Nashville, as I was saying, um, I started working with Christ Community Church, which was a Presbyterian church, Presbyterian church, uh, PCA in America. There are several denominations, PCUSA, that's the more liberal branch. The PCA is the conservative branch. And so when I started working at Christ Community, um, there was some culture shock that I went under because I grew up Baptist I grew up seeing a pastor basically like a dictator, can do whatever he wanted to do. And, uh, And in some cases, though, in Baptist churches, if the pastor didn't run the church, the deacon board ran the church. Can I get an amen if you came from a situation like that? And so when you think about church government, I really didn't have a concept for church government. I just grew up, and this is the way it was, a Baptist church. One man did everything from picking the color of the carpet to, you know, the toys in the nursery to what's being preached, you know, like, uh, putting the bulletin together. That's what I grew up seeing. But then when I started working at Christ Community Church, I saw a bunch of people who love Jesus. But then when I started getting in there, I'm like, wait a minute now, they're pretty conservative on their government, And so they would talk about the session and all this kind of stuff and the assembly. And I'm like, what is all of that? So the session at Christ Community was the body of men at that church. And at that time, it was 3,000 members. And they would have a session of guys from the body who assisted in leading the church. And then they were also in submission to the state presbytery. So all of the churches around the area, Middle Tennessee, they would come together once a quarter or whatever, and they would all meet. And, and so it was a lot of <clears throat> covering and accountability. And that's, you know, I saw all of that. And then I come from a Baptist. And so when we started Strong Tower, it was like, hmm, let's see if we can get the best of all these worlds. Because the Baptist people see ways in Scripture that their kind of government is biblical. The Presbyterians see how their kind of government is biblical and so you have all these things and and there's no one way to lead a church even though some people may try to say our way is the only way now god as far as i see it he offers a lot of flexibility because it's more important about how the church uh what it does as opposed to how it functions we can sit around all day and talk about how we are set up and our government and all that but if we're not loving people loving the loss and reaching folk what good is your government And so, God is into form, but he's more into function, and he gives every church flexibility on how to follow him. And so, hang with me as we keep talking about this elder thing, this elder stuff. Um, And so, uh, what is an elder? Watch this. The terms elder, bishop, and pastor can be used interchangeably to describe different facets of the men who lead the church. I'll take you to one passage, Acts chapter 20. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts 20. Once again, there's freedom in how we do things. At least we want to have a biblical reason for why we do what we do. Lord, help us understand even the terms we use, because some of us come from churches where you address the leadership. Everybody's an elder. Some of us come from churches where there was a bishop and you address your pastor as bishop so-and-so. Or at Strong Tower, we may use the term pastor, you know, but I'm here to let you know that all three of those terms are interchangeable in Scripture. So it is proper, as we'll see in a moment, to address me as an elder, to address Elder Clifton as a pastor, to address Pastor Daryl as a bishop. I mean, all these terms are interchangeable. And so look at Acts chapter 20, verse 17. It says from Miletus, he being Paul, sent to Ephesus and called for the elders, the presbuteros of the church because he's about to leave. Paul's about to leave Ephesus. So he's like, let me call for the elders. So that church was operating in a plurality of elders as Strong Tower operates in a plurality of elders. Well, look at verse. Let's see here. Twenty eight. So he says to this group of men. He says, therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Stop. That's the word episkopos, where you hear episcopal or episcopalian come from. Episkopos means seeing over or being an overseer. And so you see that term overseer, and in the earlier versions of the Bible, that term episkopos was translated into bishop. Bishop. And so he's saying, the Holy Spirit has made you elders, bishops or overseers to shepherd or pastor the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So this group of men, they're being referred to these different titles. You know, one minute, you know, your are elders, then you're overseers, then you're pastors. So we don't get hung up on terminology, but it is good to find out where some of this stuff comes from. And you see this uh, interchange being used in first Peter chapter five, verses one and two, as well as in Titus chapter one, verses five and even six, when he's going to address the elders, but then he's going to say that a bishop must be blameless. So he's saying appoint elders, but then a bishop must be blameless because an elder is a bishop. A bishop is a pastor, interchangeable terms, but depending upon church culture, People use the terms that they prefer. And some churches don't even use a title to address their leadership. It's just Frank or Keith or whatever. And so, again, God gives freedom in the body of Christ for us to operate how he's leading us. So what is an elder? At Strong Tower Bible Church, the elder team is comprised of lay elders and paid elders to differentiate, the lay elders are called elders and the paid elders are called pastors. So we have this elder team. Some of us are paid and some of us are not. Some of us have the privilege of making a living doing other things outside of the church. Some of us have the privilege of making a living doing things in the church. And so we may have more of an intense calling if we make our living preaching the gospel, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, than those who may make their living in medicine or in mercy ministry or in business, finance, whatever. But the point is, when you have a group that comes together, some guys are career pastors. Other men have careers doing other things, but they have wisdom, they have maturity, and so there are things that they can bring to the table. So you see the diversity that God likes to have in the midst of an elder team. You see, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, and I love this passage, Paul said, um, the elders who rule well are worthy of double honor especially those whose work is preaching and teaching so amongst the elder team some of us make our work at studying the word and proclaiming the word and all of that and so at strong tower bible church the way we differentiate between elders who are uh, not full-time and elders who are full-time is that we call the lay elders elders and the paid elders pastors Um, And so when you look at our elder team makeup, you got Gary Bell, Elder Bell, who's over our finances. Pastor D, who's over family and counseling. Uh, Elder Clifton, who's over pastoral care. Number four, uh, Pastor John, who's over worship and arts. Elder Tyler, who is over personnel. And Elder Aubrey, who's over intercession. And then myself being the leader and the teacher of the church. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Christy. Um, At this time, Strong Tower does not ordain women to be elders, but that doesn't mean women can't have a pastor's gift, a pastor's heart. Um, And we have women at this church who don't have to be called pastor to do the work of pastor. So right now, the way we see the scripture is, as we'll see next week a little bit more, is that it's hard for a woman to be the husband of one wife. You know, so we're not even going down that road. The way the world is. And so, again, back to where we come from as far as our Jewish heritage, even going as far as men leading the community. Doesn't mean that women don't lead. Doesn't mean, as we mentioned earlier about Chauncey's mother being a single mom. Many of us grew up with single moms who played father and daddy roles. Um, That's not the ideal, even though God can work through it. And so the ideal is for men to lead by serving. But a lot of times men dominate and, you know, dictate where it messes up the model, where it makes women not want to submit to the model, whether at home or at church. But just because a couple of dudes mess up the model doesn't mean the model is bad. The model is right because the Bible says when God created Adam and Eve, he did so first in his mind. They're going to dwell together and have dominion over the earth and all of that. But when God brought them forth in chapter two, He brought Adam forth first, then he brought Eve out of Adam. Why did God do it that way? He did it that way to establish order in the home. There's not two heads at home. There's one head, at least there should be one head in the home, and that should be the husband. Now, that's not popular today. For some people, that's prehistoric and barbaric, but it's the word of God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. I think God knows more about family than we do. He knows more about how his church should operate than we do. But if your mother is a pastor, I'm not hating on you. If your mother is a bishop or an elder, I have a sister who's an elder. We don't have that discussion at Thanksgiving anymore. We used to, oh boy, what's the point? I don't care if a woman is a pastor or not, as long as you're shooting in the same direction I am, and that's a nasty little devil down the street we got to take out. You know, we in a foxhole together. But if you ask me my ecclesiology, I don't think God's called women to be elders or pastors. But I'm not going to die on that hill or say that those churches led by women, that God is not in it. I just have an opinion and that opinion may change later, but it's not going to move past the scriptures. So somebody got to help me with the scripture and see where, you know, you, 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 you can bring women in, but back to my point with Christy, my wife, our elders wives, we'd be foolish not to listen to the women that we work with. Just like in my home. Yeah, I'm the leader, but my wife is the crown that sits on the head anyway. She's the neck that turns the head and holds the head up. And so I'd be foolish not to ask my wife what the Lord shows her. And same is true here at the church. Now, there are times my wife loves it that I'm the head. She's like, you make the decision on this one. I'm glad to step back and let you make the decision. Like, oh, I guess that's why men have to wear the big drawers after all to go ahead and lead. Oh, boy. Shouldn't have said that. But anyway. But Christy's like a Pastor on our staff. And I love it when she says, pastor, I'll go by the hospital and take care of that one. Pastor, I'll speak to so-and-so on that. Don't even worry about it. Uh, Pastor, I'll talk to the women on this and you don't have to worry about that. And I love that, that she is shepherding like that, but she's quick to tell you in her theology, I'm not a pastor, but she functions like one. And early on when we hired her, I don't know how many years ago it was, we said, we're going to pay her like a pastor because she's doing the work of a pastor without the title of a pastor. Somebody ought to give God some praise. <laughs> ah, I love it, man. So what's an elder? At Strong Tower Bible Church, the elders make decisions in unanimity. And the senior pastor, that's me, serve as the recognized leader of the elder team. So we make decisions in unanimity. Uh, we don't vote, you know, s- what, uh, seven of us. It's not like four of us are the majority and then three of us are the minority and we go home with our jaws tight while the other four are rejoicing. No, all seven of us have to get on board when we make major decisions. And sometimes it may be that a God doesn't agree with every jot and tittle, but he agrees with the spirit of what we're trying to do. And we recognize that what the spirit says to one, he says to all, we're going to move forward in unity, even though we may not be the same across the board in every point on what we're dealing with. And so I, th- I thank God. And, and just so you guys know, our elders don't sit in there and micromanage. We don't go through when we meet on a monthly basis every nuance. They've empowered me to make decisions, I empower my staff to make decisions. Um, it's not micro, it's uh, uh, macro management. And what they've done is they've devised what we call the governance matrix. And there are certain decisions I can make without having to check on with the elders. Because I'm the senior pastor right now as well as the executive pastor. And so they don't want me calling them every time we need to make a $2,000 purchase on something. They're like, no, you have a certain limit on what you can make decisions with financially. There's certain things you could do with the staff. You can hire any staff you want. But when it comes to hiring a pastor, we all have to take part in that. So we have a matrix on how we make decisions. And, man, it has worked out wonderfully these past, I don't know, seven or eight years. Uh, But early on, we were gritting and grinding in there. Every meeting, it was about, now, this two cent that was spent on that donut, uh who where the crumbs go? And I'm in the meeting, like, wait a minute, I don't know where them crumbs went. And those meetings would last for hours. Paul Revere used to be a part of those meetings, but he wasn't one of those people asking about the crumbs. He was one of those trying to say, move on, Pastor, don't even worry about the crumbs, move on. And so we switched that up and said, no, man, no. Again, freedom in his church. But what I want you to hear is that we lead together. I am the first among equals. I'm like James in the church in Jerusalem or like Moses with the 70 elders. But I am one of the guys. Now, here's where an elder team doesn't work. And I'll close with this and I'll come back next week because uh, Pastor Darrell told me not to preach next Sunday. Because uh, tomorrow morning, my wife and I are going away for a week just to hang out and chill. So I said, man, you don't need to be working on a sermon. So what I'll do is these notes in here that I did not cover today, I shall cover next week if you give me your blessing, Pastor. Thank you, my brother. But I will close by saying um, when an elder team doesn't work, anytime you get men together, you you can have a problem because men can... You know, we're alpha males. Many times we fight and we buck some guys. It's just tough to work on a team. Some guys are individualists. But here's when an elder team doesn't work when there's a lack of chemistry. So appoint elders in every city. Hopefully those guys will have a chemistry where they not only love each other because Christ commands them, but they like each other because they just want to be together where they can leave a meeting, then go to the movies, leave a meeting, go eat a meal, leave, leave a meeting, come over to my house, i come over your house, where we hang out with each other. That's when you've got something good. But when a team lacks chemistry, when guys don't like each other, and so when you have a big elder team, and it's tough to develop relationships, what happens is you then become too corporate and not family enough. So you're making decisions, which is another problem when an elder team can become too corporate. You see, the church is first a family, then it's an organization. But sometimes if you bring all men from the corporate world who were successful in the corporate world, but they don't necessarily understand ministry, sometimes there can be a tension where they're coming with their business expertise and what they did to salvage a business and what they did with these stocks, these bonds, and, and and this kind of personnel. Sometimes that can rub when guys have a shepherd's heart for people. Now, sometimes the shepherd's heart can get out of line because we don't want to ever terminate anybody. We want to hire everybody. We want, but sometimes you need the business guys to say, no, we need more structure. We need more uh, personnel decisions to be made on this. So, there's a good blend that happens when you have pastors and elders, but it can get out of line when it becomes too corporate. A good friend of mine um, in Franklin, some of you've heard about this, but a, about a month and a half ago, a good friend of mine, Rick White, His church changed governments about four uh, months ago, uh, back at the excuse me, not four months ago, but at the, uh, about four years ago, they changed their government, where it was more Baptistic, where he was the leader, congregation voted to more of an elder model. And to make a long story short, he's no longer pastoring that church. And one of the reasons I think is because their elder team lacked chemistry. And secondly, they made it too much like a corporation and not enough like a family. And so um, it's, you, you got to work through that kind of stuff. And then finally, man, when an elder team does not respect the senior leader, that's when you have some problems. Because an elder, as important as an elder is, that elder is not the visionary, the primary teacher of the church like the senior pastor. And I have men who recognize that, yeah, they're part of the team. We all have a vote but they don't have the same weight of responsibility before God and you that I have. So when we're voting and things are going on, and if there's a stalemate, what this group of elders has been doing for the last four years is when we are at a gridlock, they then turn to me, the one with the big draws, and they say, Pastor, what do you think? We submit to you because at the end of the day, you're going to answer to God in a way that we don't even answer to God. And so I thank God for men that I don't have to force myself to have the authority. No, they say, no, you are our leader, man. But they also know I'm the kind of leader that can submit to their leadership. Because if the Holy Spirit is on Elder Tyler or on Elder Gary for a decision, I'm submitting to what the Spirit is saying through Elder Tyler. So I'm teaching them how to submit so that when I need them to submit to me, they've seen my example. And so we've been able to have a good blend over the years, but it did not start off like this when we first started. So I know the churches in Crete, they're going to have some learning curves to go through because when you get people together trying to do spiritual things, sometimes people can get in the flesh and, uh, my God, but that's where we come back and remember whose church is it anyway? It's Jesus church. Who's the head of the church? Jesus. Who's the cornerstone of the church? Jesus. Who gave his blood to make the church possible? Jesus. So we got to step back as men and women and say, Lord, your will be done on earth through the church. As it is in heaven. All right, that's it. I think we have an announcement to close by Sister uh, Rhyme Chisel. Sister Rhyme Chisel, would you come at this time and give us our final word, and then we'll get on out, and then I'll pick this up next week. <laughs> offering. I forgot about the offering.